Our scripture reading today comes from Psalm 82. Hear now a word from God. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless instead. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks 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 be to God. God. Making sure my pages are in order, excuse me. I need to say before I start that my wife chose this passage. (laughs) Yes, thank you. (laughs) You see, one of our beliefs is that all Scripture is God-inspired. It's true. The Bible doesn't lie. Things need to be interpreted and they need to be understood, but it's all true. And here, this is a psalm of Asaph. And he tells us about this time God was speaking to the people and God sent this message and God said this, I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. And God said, I said, you are gods. (laughs) Hang on. God says, you are gods. And this psalm is God speaking to his people, and you are God's people, which means you are God's? Would anyone else like to preach at this point? (laughs) (laughs) The easiest thing to do when we find a verse like this in the Bible is to ignore it. We pretend it's not there. Psalm 82 loses verse 6. It's just gone. Or we assume that it says something, but we don't know what. That's for other people to figure out. But here's the thing. Is the Bible true or not? God looks at his people. God looks at us and says, I said, you are God's. Is it true or not? Like I said, the easiest thing to do is to ignore it, pretend it's not there. It's the easiest way to read the Bible honestly. When it says something we don't like or something we don't understand, we just set it aside. That means something, but I don't know what. So I'll set it over here, and I'll think about it some other time. At which time I will remind myself again to forget it. (laughs) Because I don't know what that does. I'll set it over here on the shelf and ignore it because I don't know what that does. I was assembling our patio furniture a couple months ago and we bought it from Bobby O'Brien's liquidations and we got a great discount because Bobby O'Brien had bought it without any of the nuts or bolts, none of the hardware. (laughs) And we bought it from him 
And I figured out the bolt size, and we bought a bunch of the nuts and the bolts and the washers. And I found directions for a similar model, actually the same model, online. And we start putting it all together, and there's a love seat and a little table and two swivel chairs. And it's pretty easy. About halfway through, I ran into a piece on the swivel chairs, and I couldn't figure it out. The directions had it going like this, and I couldn't get it like this. And I was sweating because it's Alabama, and it was confusing. So instead of doing it like this, I just did it like that. I just did it like that, and I kept going because I didn't know what it did. And I forgot about it, and I finished everything, and then I called my wife and my daughter out to brag. And I've become disturbed at how many of my stories involved that line. <laughs> and then I dramatically sat in the swivel chair. And evidently the reason it goes like this instead of like that is like this, it keeps the top, the chair part, and the bottom swivel part connected. So when I dramatically sat in the chair like this, I leaned back basking in my glory, uh, two bolts popped out. <laughs> and I briefly found myself thinking, man, this thing leans back really far. <laughs> before I discovered that pride does indeed come before the fall. I would like to tell you that in Christian charity they didn't laugh at me, but that would be a lie. <laughs> It's what happens when we ignore a piece because we don't understand it. We don't know what it does, so we'll set it over here because we don't know what that does. But is the Bible true or not? Obviously, we don't believe God tells lies. If God says it, it's true, but here the Bible is telling us that God said, you are God's. Maybe the Bible lies. But that feels uncomfortable, too. So we can say something like, well, this was a long time ago, when people still believed there were other gods. Now we know better. It's another way we can read the Bible when we disagree. To say that the Bible is still true, but this part right here, this was a long time ago. People didn't even have running water. People still believed in this or that, in demons and other gods, and now we know better. But we can't do that either. We can't ignore the hard passages because... There's a reason they're here. When we ignore them, we end up sitting in a swivel chair that just keeps reclining until we fall. Because it, it does something. If we ignore the hard verses, we miss a part of God's truth. We can't cut them out because they seem ignorant or outdated. If we do that, we put ourselves in charge of Scripture. Now we're smarter than the Bible, and it's our job to tell the Bible when it's true and when it's wrong. And in this specific instance, verse 5 of Psalm 82, trying to say we just disagree with this verse will get us even into even more trouble, because this passage is quoted by someone rather famous, someone named Jesus. And we can't ignore that. We can't cut out that part. So what happens if we say, okay, this is weird, but the Bible says it. God says, I said you are gods. So that's it. We're gods. First thing that happens, many arguments need to be rehashed. Arguments that ended with, stop being so arrogant. Who do you think you are, God? Suddenly they all have a new ending. Well, in case you haven't read Psalm 82, yes, that's exactly who I think I am. If we take this seriously, if we go around saying we are gods, 
being Christian goes from acceptable to crazy. Did you hear about the Cumberland Presbyterians? I always thought they were arrogant, but evidently they think they're all gods. No, they don't just think they're better than everyone else. They literally think they're gods. I always said you can't trust a Presbyterian. (laughs) It sounds crazy. It looks crazy. It feels crazy. But God says it. Right here in Psalm 82, God says, I said, you are gods. So which is crazier, saying we're gods or saying that God is wrong? First of all, notice, this doesn't say you are God. It doesn't say you are the Lord God. The issue with reading a translated text is we don't read the original. The word for God in Hebrew is Elohim, and we only use the word God to describe God, right? We just talk about God. The word Elohim means more than that. It means powers. And when the Bible just wants to talk about God, it will say the Lord God, or it will say the Holy One, or it will use God's name, Yahweh, the true God, the one God, the true power. This doesn't say you are God. This psalm is not saying you get to take God's place, but it does say you are Elohim which is still really weird. But what's really weird, it's not even the first time God says something like this. Do you remember in Genesis, when Adam and Eve eat from the tree and suddenly they understand good and evil? And God curses them. And then, does anyone remember what God says? They have now become like us. They have become like gods. He has become like a god, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Two things make someone like a god. The first is knowledge of good and evil. And when Jesus quotes this verse, he says, My father calls them gods to whom the word of God came. So God calls people gods who have received the word of God. Because the word teaches us the difference between good and evil. The word lets us participate in what it means to be God, to judge the difference between good and evil. It's what sets us apart from the animals. We are like God, able to judge between good and evil. That's the power of God that God gives to us to look at the world and to judge what is right and what is wrong. And through his word, we can know the difference. Which is why the Bible will also use this word, Elohim, God, to describe rulers and judges. Their job is to know the difference between good and evil, to judge between them and to administrate accordingly. That's God-like. That is standing in on God's behalf, ruling the people with the knowledge of good and evil. And let's be honest, that's why we're afraid to judge. We're right to be afraid to judge. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. It's why Jesus warns us about judging. Judge not, lest ye be judged. First remove the log from your own eye before you remove the splinter from your neighbor's eye because to judge between right and wrong is to be like God. 
this verse saying, I say you are God when you judge perfectly names our discomfort with judging. Because when we judge, that's exactly how we feel. Like we're trying to be God. Like we are playing God. There was a seminary professor at Princeton. I think I have used him before, but he refused to preach because he thought the word of God was so sacred that he didn't want to mess it up. So he just refused to stand in a pulpit. He refused to preach a sermon. He didn't want to take the chance of saying something wrong, so he said nothing at all. And some students thought that this was beautiful. He just had such reverence for the word of God that he wouldn't even speak. The problem is that the Bible tells us to speak. And it tells us to preach. And that scripture tells us that God will give us the words to say. So by refusing to preach, he wasn't actually honoring the Bible. He was disagreeing with it. He was saying he didn't believe that the Spirit would give him the words. And we don't want to judge because who am I? What makes me smarter or wiser than anybody else? What makes me worthy of judging? I feel like I'm trying to be God. Nothing makes me more worthy than you. And so we we shrink back from it. We shrink back from calling anything a sin and we shrink back from naming oppression and we shrink back from saying what's right, from naming what God deserves and we shrink down sin until it's basically just Hitler and Stalin living alone in a box of sinners. Because who are we to judge? I'm not God. Only God can judge. And yet the world needs judges. We need judges who know the difference between good and evil because if there are not judges, then where is justice? The world needs humble judges who will sit and will listen to a case, set aside their feelings and preferences and discern between good and evil. To be honest, I'm not sure we even believe that's possible anymore. If you ever read about a judge in the news, the article will tell you which president they were appointed under. Truth? And the insinuation is that every judge has an agenda, and they could not possibly set it aside, set aside their preferences, to judge honestly between good and evil. So it's better to just not judge, right? To just not judge at all, to render no judgment on anyone or anything. I'll do my thing and you do yours and we'll just not judge, especially in the church, especially in matters of faith. It's better to just not judge, to leave it between them and God because we've seen how toxic the national conversations are, the mudslinging and the arrogance and nothing ever changes. It's better to just not judge, to not act like God. You know the Genesis passage, God says two things make us like God. The first is knowledge of good and evil, and the second is living forever. Interesting that very few people resist the offer to live forever. We're pretty comfortable with that part of being like God. 
It's funny, I even talk to people who don't believe in Jesus, but believe in some kind of heaven they will go to and live forever. Two things make us like God. One is living forever, and we're comfortable with that. We're comfortable being like God. I'm going to live forever. But the other is the knowledge of good and evil. And that one scares us. The ability to judge, the call to judge... But both are gifts. Both are received from God. It's not arrogance. It's a gift. Jesus says that when he dies and is resurrected, he will wash away our sin and the Spirit of God will come and dwell in us and the Spirit of God is the Spirit of wisdom. And it will give us the ability to discern between good and evil. Do we believe that? All through the Gospel of John, Jesus is accused of making himself equal to the Father. You can read it and check me. Everywhere they're saying, this guy is making himself equal to God. This guy thinks he's God. This guy is acting like he knows God. This guy is making himself equal to God. But if you read the Gospel closely, what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't make himself equal to God. God does. God the Father does. Jesus isn't born knowing calculus or geometry or geography. Jesus is born human just like you or me, and his wisdom comes from the same spirit that brings us wisdom. He receives wisdom from the Father. And Jesus says, My Father calls them gods, to whom the word of God came. Made like gods. Able to judge between good and evil. Made like gods who will live forever. Sort of absurd, isn't it? That God would trust us with that. That God would trust us with that gift. We don't want to judge because we don't feel special. We don't want to judge because I'm not that wise and and we decide that we're not smart enough to pass judgment on what's right or wrong, so we'll just wait until God shakes it all out one day. But God looks at you and says, You are Elohim. You are like me. By the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of my spirit, you are like me, able to judge between right and wrong, good and evil, able to render justice. I really don't want to tell all of you that you are God's, because it feels crazy. And it's uncomfortable. And because I don't like the idea of having to judge. But this is what it says. God said, You are Elohim. You are like me. You are sons and daughters of the Most High, and as such, you are called 
to judge. Not to judge whether or not you like someone's haircut or their shoes or their politics. Not called to judge in a way that tears things apart. But to judge between right and wrong. To judge the actions that lead toward repentance. To judge the wicked because doing nothing, sitting back and watching as the wicked prosper, is not an option that God gives us. So God says, look, look and see, read my word, carry me in your heart, humble yourself in prayer, then look and see and judge for your family, for your church, for yourself, what is right and what is wrong, because I have made you like me. You shall live with me forever and you have my spirit of wisdom and truth and you You can judge between good and evil. You are like God. You are like God. Let us pray. Lord, there are verses in the Bible we wish you just hadn't said. Responsibilities you give us that make us uncomfortable. Things that are heavy to carry. And yet here we read that you have made us like you. Able to discern between what is right and wrong. Able to discern between good and evil. So in this moment we humble ourselves and ask that you would pour out your spirit and give us the same wisdom that led your Son, Jesus the Christ. That you would send us out into the world with the boldness to judge between right and wrong, to judge for the sake of the poor and the oppressed, the weak and the fatherless, the weak and the needy. Or that you would lead us that we might be a people of justice and truth in all that we do. We pray this in the name of your risen Son, our Lord. Amen.